You know what you were saying last time about um, you want a Geordie voiceover? Mm-hmm. Hi. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you know, for your book, your audio book. <laughs> I was just thinking about it and, uh, well, you know. What's your rate like? £20 an hour. <laughs> Welcome to the Unsung Book Club. I'm Lucy Brownlee. And I'm Nick Brownlee. And in this podcast, we aim to shine a light on all those authors out there who we think need a light shining on them. Well put. Thanks. Later in the show, we'll be revealing this week's featured author, who will be reading an extract from one of their books. Especially produced extract with sound effects and all that. Yes, indeed, because here on the Unsung Book Club, we like to pull out all the stops. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at Unsung Book Club, or check out our website, which is unsungbookclub.com. Dot com. Dot com. Get it right. Yeah. Uh, we've already had a few messages. Have we? Well, one... <laughs> Who from? Um, it was on Twitter from a listener called at Thompson Apt or APT who oh, says yeah, yeah. Um, he says I can't recommend this podcast from the squabbling siblings of the book world highly enough a real treat squabbling siblings of the book mm, world I like that yeah me too I didn't realise we squabbled actually I thought it was just the way we talked to each other <laughs> <laughs> do be quiet yeah, fair enough squabble's a good word though isn't it don't you think yep have you uh, ever used the word squabbled in one of your books um, well, it's not really a crime thriller word. I mean, you never get... A, uh, I've never written a sentence which says, the two men squabbled and then one decapitated the other with a machete. <laughs> do you know where it comes from? Hmm. Uh, no, I don't. But uh, I have no doubt that you do, you being the uh, the PhD in creative whatever it is Obviously. you are. Um, so the word squabble dates from around 1600, believe it or not, and it's probably from dialectical Swedish squabble, uh, quarrel, or... Dialectical German, schwablen, to prattle or babble. Well, of, co- of course I knew that. Um, uh, actually, I think the uh, schwabbling twins. <laughs> <laughs> Siblings? God forbid, I'm not your bloody twin. <laughs> the schwabbling siblings sounds much better, don't you? Yeah. Um, speaking of dialects, did I ever tell you about my story about Stanley Ellis? Probably. Uh, well, I bet I didn't, because everybody I've talked to about this story has fallen asleep halfway through it. But, um, <laughs> I just thought, I, I was thinking about it the other day. Stanley Ellis, uh, it was a linguistics expert um, uh, at Leeds University. When I was at Leeds University, he came into the lecture. Now, Stanley Ellis was, do you, you won't remember the Yorkshire Ripper. Yes. You've heard of him. I don't remember him. I mean, he wasn't. Do you know. remember Wearside Jack? No. Wearside Jack was the, was a guy who sent, when they were looking for the Yorkshire Ripper in the 70s, mm. Wearside Jack sent in a tape, and it was he was a hoaxer. Oh. Uh, and it went, I'm Jack, you were no closer to catching me than you ever have been. And, uh, is were, that actual transcript? Pretty much, actually, yeah. And it sounded, actually, I sound a bit like him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jack. I see you are still having no luck catching me. I have the greatest respect for you, George. But Lord, you are no nearer catching me now than four years ago when I started. No, fortunately, he was arrested in 2000, this guy. But um, no, uh, uh, the, the police got this guy, Stanley Ellison, because he's he had this uncanny ability to uh, um, to be able to identify 
dialects from listening to a tape almost down to the street. And uh, he came in and he, he identified Wearside Jack as having a, a Sunderland accent, but also from the Castle Town area of Sunderland. And a few years later, when they actually caught this fella, guess where he came from? The Castle Town area of Sunderland. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, he came in and he did a lecture at Leeds, one of the, uh, I think it was the only lecture I attended in about three years when I was there. But um, <laughs> he, uh, Stanley Ellis, he, he got this guy up and he said to him, just say a few words. And the guy said a few words and he identified where he came from to within about three streets. And I think the fellow came from Nottingham. Uh, so that was very good, wasn't it? Yeah, it's very interesting. It's not relevant, but it's very interesting. No, no, it's not. But um, in my defence, dialect is, if you're a writer... How do you mean? Well, uh, well, how do you, how do you write dialect? Um, I mean, if you say, for example, you've got a character from Newcastle who who speaks with a broad Geordie accent, mm. do you do you write his dialogue the way he speaks, like yana or I'm Ganon Oot, or do you sort of tone it down for the general reading public, sort of the, the the literary equivalent of subtitles? Yeah, I think I think you do. I think you commit to it and you go for it. And I think particularly um, at the moment where there's a real push on, sort of regional working class writing and writers um i think that you know it's great to hear how people actually speak irvine welsh irvine <laughs> do you mean irvin sorry that was um phonetically <laughs> spoken <laughs> dialectically uh, irvine irvin welsh what the uh, train spotting guy. yes yeah yes. no I, well yeah but i again you know when i looked at it the first time it was quite difficult to understand and i can imagine some people in in London, picking that up and not understanding a word of it now, mm. and and Jonathan Tullock's another one. He's a, he's a sort of Geordie writer from a few years ago, and he wrote a book called The Bonnie Lad, which was um, set in Gateshead, and everybody in there sort of spoke Geordie, but had Yanan Oot and all this kind of stuff. And I I understood it, but I just wondered whether somebody from Shoreditch would. Well, I mean, a perusal of my vast bookshelf. Uh, I've just got uh, this book here by Jason Polly. Jason Polly? Jacob Polly. Uh, Talk of the Town, which is um, set in Carlisle, actually, your, your neck of the woods. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, uh, he writes in, in dialect. Jackie Kay, another one of my favourites, she writes in dialect. What, what dialect is she writing? Scottish. Yeah, but do you get anybody sort of from, I don't know, uh, Peckham writing in London dialect? I can't ever remember, remember reading a sort of book that was set in London, which was all white Gavna and all this kind of stuff. Maybe it's a northern thing. Well, have you got your tip on your shoulder about the north-south writing divide? No, 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 no not at all. It was just, I, I just, everybody we've mentioned so far in, mm. this, in this strand um, tends to be sort of north of, of Watford. And I, I don't remember, I know you've got a vast bookshelf and you're a lot more well-read than I am, but whether there was anybody down south who did the same sort of thing, whether there was a, a London Irvine Welsh... <laughs> no, well, no, I, mean, well, I don't know. Hey, hey, listeners, if you know of anybody, if you are one, why don't you, uh, why don't you let us know, and um, that'll continue this particular <laughs> strand for another week. <laughs> Anyway, listen, um, here's a question for you. If if someone asked you what your favourite book was, would you lie in order to sound intellectual? What are you talking about? You know, Sebastian Falks, 
who he wrote um yeah bird song bird song yeah, yeah. And it was an interview with him in the times the other day and they asked him what his favorite book was and i've got it here and i'm going to read it to you it says my mind tends to go blank when asked this question as though i have never opened a book hang on while i check the shelves it seems that in my 20s i was big on living by henry green and loving by the same author the most thumbed are john dunn's songs and sonnets t.s eliot and keats the closing pages of Germinal by Zola, the opening pages of Le Rouge et Le Noir by Stendhal come to mind. A book that made me rethink a lot of things was The Origin of Consciousness in the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind by Julian James. Crikey. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> now, I'm not saying uh, Sebastian Falk is lying to sound intellectual, but um, his, his bookshelf is clearly a lot more highbrow than mine <laughs> i'd have to say i mean if they asked me and if i was being truly honest i would have to say that my favorite book is the magic faraway tree by <laughs> by Enid blyton actually me too probably had the most uh, impact on me i know I, I sort of if if i was stuck on the desert island and i could only take one book i'd take that <laughs> Moonface and mr potts or whatever his name is yeah what books would, would you encourage your daughter to read <laughs> you don't do because she just sits looking at the iPad all day. <laughs> no, I, I, she really enjoys Germinal by Zola and Le Rouge Le Noir by um, Stendhal. Well, it's funny actually because my daughter, who's 13, I caught her the other day reading The Origin of Consciousness in the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind by Julian James. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it obviously it made Sebastian Falch rethink a lot of things. Well, so when why I, wouldn't it make her? Well, I know. When, when I ripped it off her and, and thrust an iPad into her hands, she was really annoyed. <laughs> Get off, give me my Jane's back. <laughs> so anyway, enough of this. Uh, it's high time, I think, we introduce this week's featured author, don't you think? Uh, yes, indeed. And this week, the featured author is Rod Glenn. Now, Rod is firmly in the horror genre, uh, and as well as being a writer, he's also a publisher with his own imprint called Wild Wolf. He's also an actor who's appeared in such TV and film productions as Monster, Ripper Street... And American Assassin. In 2010, he produced a book called Cinema, with an S. The first in a blood-soaked trilogy about a novelist and a movie buff researching a crime thriller about a serial killer on the rampage in a remote Northumberland community. Well, as you can imagine, that particular story didn't end well. But um, anyway, Cinema has now been re-released under the title Slaughterville. And here's Rod reading an extract from it. And a word of warning... Those of a nervous disposition should put their fingers in their ears now. A thick, soup-like fog oozed through the shadowy streets of Hayden, obscuring the moonless sky. Hans stood rooted to the spot on the damp grass beneath the Hayden oak, staring at the millers. The pub was in darkness, as were the surrounding buildings. Glancing about, frowning, he noticed that there was not a single light on in the village, not even shop signs. Had there been a power cut? As he waited, a solitary howl lifted above the gloom, causing his heart to quicken. There was a lonely desperation in that canine cry. My writing and and everybody's writing is not everyone's cup of tea. Not everybody's going to love it. But with the writing, I've always been interested in the dark elements of human nature. I've always read voraciously stuff like Stephen King, Clive Barker, James Herbert, um, Dean Arcoons, um, Edgar Allan Poe, all the sort of darker stuff. Distorted by the creeping fog, 
Han thought he saw shapes moving behind the blackened windows of the co-op in the post office. His pulse quickened further still. He noticed similar figures in the other windows. As his mind struggled with the vision, new shapes appeared in the yawning darkness of open doorways. A big bloated form appeared in the doorway of the Millers. Han's instinct was to run, to get far away from this foreboding place, but his legs refused to oblige. They seemed set on facing whatever demons awaited him. I'm a huge film fanatic, um, so I decided... You write about what you know, so I decided to explore the human psyche, and I thought it, was, it started from a what if. What if a, an average normal person who had never heard a fly in their life decided one day to see if he could get away with murder and would just choose a random place and some random people that he didn't know, kill them, and then go back to his normal life and never do any harm to anyone else again. Um, and that's where it started. He chooses a random village in Northumberland. Um, so he decides to go up there, pretending to be a writer, researching a, a, a novel about a serial killer. Um, and then it moves from there. He gets to know all the villagers. He gets to know their habits, learns their routines. And then when the weather gets bad and the, the village gets cut off in, in quite a bad um, storm, um, winter storm, he then chooses to, to kill everybody. The figures stepped out of the shadowy doorways and started to move towards him from all directions, shuffling with a slow, awkward determination. They were human and he recognised them, but the way they walked, that stiff shamble disturbed him. Something wasn't right about these people. As they grew closer, he recognised Big Joe, but as his face took shape, he realised that the retired soldier had no eyes, just empty black sockets. His face was drooping as if melted with a glistening waxy sheen. Tam Wellwright was lumbering along beside him, but he too had no eyes, along with a gaping bloody tear where his Adam's apple should have been. A bloated tongue lolled over thin, quivering lips. Cinema was out a, th a good... Uh, it must have been near upwards of a year before it suddenly started to do well. It was selling one or two books here and there. Um, then a few book bloggers finally sort of started to pu publish uh, reviews about it, and it just took off. Suddenly it, was, it started selling from one or two books a day to 100, 200 books a day, and it stayed in the top 10 of Amazon for about 12 months. Terror rose up into Han's throat like hot bile, but no sound escaped his lips. His body trembled from more than just the damp, slithering cold that seeped into his pores. At once he regained some bodily control. He spun around to see more villagers approaching mere feet away. John Bryce, his eyes, severed head, held by matted hair in one hand. Carol Belmont, naked with her stomach ripped open, cradling her slimy intestines like a baby. They were grey and most definitely dead. It was supposed to be a one-off book that was a start and a, a very definite finish. And it was only a, it was a, about a year or so later when it really took off as a book and was, was sort of top of all the Amazon thriller charts for, for quite a long time. I started getting lots of emails and things saying, well, what happens next? I want to know what happens next. And at first I was saying, well, nothing. It's a, it's a, it's a story with, that has a start, a middle and an end. That's it. But then I started thinking and I thought, well... 
what would happen next, actually? And it just started, sort of ideas started to formulate. And, and then after the second one, I said, that's it. No more. <laughs> the second it, I hit, it, it got published, an, an idea of where it would go next popped into my head. And it was, it was a pretty much a crystal clear plot for the third book. Then the stench struck his nostrils like a headbutt to the nose. The reek of death and decay, the stink of all that is rotten was too much. Spasms kicked at his stomach, causing him to retch noisily. When I'm not acting, I, I write and handle the publishing of Wild Wolf. Um, and I'll do sort of 12, 14 hours a day. I just, I, I don't sleep very much. I've been an insomniac for, for decades, which is very handy. I get up very early, I go to bed very late. I, I work a lot. When I'm acting... I'm usually jotting down ideas. Uh, you might be sat in your trailer for 12 hours and not get used all day. You've got to, you've got to be disciplined. You've got, if, you, if you're serious about being a writer, you have to treat it as a, as a job. Even if it's your second job, even if you've got a nine-to-five job, you have to be very disciplined. You've got to set yourself targets. Um, you've got to set aside a certain amount of time, whatever, however much that might be, depending on your, your nine-to-five job. Uh, you've got to set yourself realistic goals. I'm going to write for two hours every single night. I'm going to get 1,000 words written or however you want to do it. But you've got to have targets, stick to them, beat them if possible, and then raise them as you, as you go. It's the only way you can do it. Otherwise, you'll never finish that elusive first novel. Still spinning, he stopped abruptly with Lisa right in front of him. Like the others, her eyes were hollowed out voids. Her pallid, rotting skin clung to her face like folds of muslin, yet her lips were luscious and ruby red. She held a bundle of bloody torn rags in her cracked and bleeding fingers. With a blank, dead expression, she outstretched her arms. A sick, crawling revulsion sent a shiver through him, causing him to gag once more. As he took the package against his will, holding it in one arm, he peeled away the top layers of sticky, rank material to reveal a maggot-infested, rotting fetus, complete with bloodied ginger hair and a shriveled, blackened penis. Tap, tap. Yours, Lisa uttered with a hoarse whisper. Basically, you've got to be an extremely good networker. You've got to speak to people, you've got to get yourself out there, and obviously the good routes for that are Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. You've got to spread the word that way. You've got to make contact with bloggers, with uh, reviewers. Don't just don't just fire off an email to them with your with your book attached, saying uh, please review my book. That just pisses people off. You know, get to know them. Get to know the type of books that they're interested in. Certainly, don't send a horror novel to a, a reviewer who only reviews um, romance novels, for example. And it's just it's just getting yourself out there constantly. That's the only way you can do it. And unfortunately, with that, it's generally a slow burn. It takes a while. Finally, a scream rose up from the pit of his stomach as the rest of the villagers closed in around him. Lisa's dead face offered a hint of a smile as she allowed the others to engulf his squealing, flailing form. Tap, tap. Hannah woke with a scream anchored to his lips. Jesus Christ! Oh. <laughs> uh, you can come out from behind the sofa now. Was, it, <laughs> was that your scream at the end? <laughs> uh, I thought that was ace. Do you, I can tell you, you, horror isn't 
your, your uh, genre, is it? Is <laughs> the, the colour of my face. Um, Rod's definitely your cup of tea, though, isn't he? Well, no, it's funny because when you, we were talking earlier about um, books that we used to read when we were younger, I think when, after I progressed from the Magic Faraway Tree, I started getting into these horror things like, <laughs> like, like Rod did with sort of J- James Herbert, The Rats. Mm. And uh, and stuff like that, which was um, I mean, you read it now and it, it looks it sounds really dated and, and horrible, but um, uh, maybe it's just a rite of passage for for young men. Um, and Rod has clearly has, has got the spirit, and I, I thought I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, it was grotesque, but I enjoyed it. Well, I think what was most disturbing for me wasn't anything to do with sort of Carol Belmont's innards or anything. It was about <laughs> Rod saying you write about what you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess in retrospect, we were lucky to get out of his house. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Well, thank you very much to Rod. Um, Okay, so what's next? Well, it's the bit where I get in the lift and tell everyone how to submit their extract to the show. Go on, then. (laughs) You must be joking. I'm too scared now. (laughs) Rod Rod might be in the lift. (laughs) Get in, man. All right. In Hollywood, they call it the elevator pitch. It's when you just happen to meet a bloated movie exec in a lift, and assuming you don't get molested, you've got until it gets to his penthouse suite to tell him how wonderful your script is. Well, we're neither Hollywood execs, nor particularly bloated. But if you're a published author, in print, ebook, or both, then we want to hear from you. Send us an extract from your book which you think best sums up what's great about it, and you as a writer. We also want to hear from independent publishers. If you're keen to promote an up-and-coming literary superstar, then let us know. Either way, for more details on how to get in touch, go to our website, unsungbookclub.com, and click on the submissions page. Who knows? You could be elevated to the best-selling big time. See what I did there? Well, now it's the bit of the show we like to call What Have You Been Reading This Week? So, Lucy... What have you been reading this week? <laughs> Julian James, by any chance? Well, that was last week. Um, this week, <laughs> last, actually. Last night. Last night. <laughs> this week, I'm, uh, I'm actually... Do you read any short stories, like collections? Uh, I did when I, I, when I was younger. Mm. I, I went from James Herbert to reading short stories for a very brief <laughs> Russian time. short stories. Russian short stories. In Russian. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, I am reading a book called Why Don't You Stop Talking by Jackie Kay, who's one of my favourite authors anyway. But I've kind of, I got it for Christmas, actually. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm finding that actually the short story form really suits my reading style, which is sort of, you know, two pages and fall asleep before, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's really good. What, um, are they sort of separate stories or are they based around a certain place? Separate stories, separate but, stories, yeah. But are they based around a certain place or a time or what? Uh, no, they don't appear to be. Uh, they, they're obviously very personal. and uh, The short story sort of form, um, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem to be as popular uh, as, as novels. No, but I think it is getting a resurgence, I think. Uh, and certainly one of our featured authors coming up in one of our later pods is a, is a short story uh, yeah, yeah. writer. I, I was reading the other day that um, one of the new things that the publishers are trying is, is pumping out uh, bits of books on, on, on the phones, like me, like a message, an email. Oh, really? Not an email, a text. You mm. know? So, you know, people sitting on the bus or whatever it is can, can read a bit of a short story. Um, uh, during their commute, which I suppose is is quite a good idea, um, but you know I'll see how it goes. So that's uh, 
what's it called again? It's called Why Don't You Stop Talking by Jackie K. It's not a, it's not a new book. It's been out a while. But uh, anyway, if you like short stories, I could recommend this one. How about you? What are you reading? Um, I'm reading a book called Night of Camp David by a guy called Fletcher Nabel, K-N-E-B-E-L. Um, and it's on the front cover. It's got like a fly leaf cover and on the front of it in black and on white print on a black background, it's got what would happen if the president of the USA went stark raving mad. Um, and you might think that uh, in, in, in the current times in which we live that it was written yesterday. But um, in fact, this was written in 1965. Okay. Um, and I think the president then was Lyndon Johnson. But um, anyway, it's, it's, they've decided, the publishers, that it's a good time to, to reissue this book. It's about a, a US senator who goes uh, for a meeting with the president up at Camp David. And during the course of the meeting, it, it kind of dawns on him that maybe the president's gone insane. Um, and it's kind of a, a thrillery. It's a bit pulpy, really, but it, it's quite good, quite funny, and um, I quite enjoyed it, actually. Unfortunately, I won't be reading Fletcher Nebel anymore because he died about <laughs> 10 years ago. But um, Are there any innards in it? Uh, no, there's not, actually. Although they, Severed Adam's apples? It could do with a few of them, actually. But, uh, no, Get Rod in? Rod, actually, Rod could do a rewrite, and that'd be good, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I, I quite enjoyed that, um, and I'm kind of... I don't know, ferreting around for something to read again now, something new, but uh, I don't know, I might, might go buy a biography. Well, there's a great book by uh, a writer called Julian Jaynes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's that one called? It's again? The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm Made a... me rethink a lot of things and uh, yeah. I might do the same for you. I might do that, actually. Yeah, thanks for the recommendation. No problem. Well, I think that's about it for another episode of the Unsung Book Club. Uh, I think it went rather well again, don't you? Well, for a couple of Schwabelin siblings, yes, I suppose so. Schwabelin siblings, yes. Uh, um, shall we do it again? It might as well. Any suggestions? I think we should do something a little bit different next time. Ooh, like what? I can't tell you. Oh, how exciting yet annoying. Schwabelin, baby. Clearly. Taracho. Tara, pet. You've been listening to the Unsung Book Club podcast. If you haven't already subscribed, you can do so now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're feeling generous, why not give the show a five-star review? Not only does it make us feel good, but it really helps to spread the word. We also want to hear from you. If you're an author, a blogger, a publisher, or just a fan of the written word, you can find us on Twitter, at Unsung Book Club, and on Facebook, too. And for full details about everything to do with the show and where to find us, head for the website, unsungbookclub.com. Brownlee and Brownlee's Unsung Book Club is a Paperfoot production. Paperfoot.